But it is an exciting week. We're glad you're here. It's an exciting season in the church. We're planning campuses, exciting transitions. This might be TMI, but you see where, where babies are popping out everywhere. I would try to name them all, but I forget. I would forget some and I'd feel terrible. But it's, it's going to be a great night tonight. We're in a series we've been in all summer on the Holy Spirit. And if you're here tonight and you're thinking, how do you spend an entire summer on the Holy Spirit? Wouldn't you want to spend it on Jesus or, or God the Father? Why the Holy Spirit? There's this great quote. It's my favorite quote that I've read on the Holy Spirit. It's by a guy you may have heard of, Billy Graham. And it says, I am convinced that to be filled with the Spirit is not an option, but a necessity. It is indispensable for the abundant life and for fruitful service. The Spirit-filled life is not abnormal. It is the normal Christian life. Anything less is subnormal. It is less than what God wants and provides for His children. Therefore, to be filled with the Spirit should never be thought of as an unusual or unique experience for or known by only a select few. It is intended for all, needed by all, and available to all. That is why the Scripture commands all of us be filled with the Spirit. Billy, Billy Graham could preach. <laughs> if I plan one thing in four years of youth ministry, it's uh, if I stutter, stumble, walk off the stage midway through, if I've quoted the Bible, I've still done pretty good. I planted some seeds. Right under that, maybe a little further under that, 2A and 2B is quote C.S. Lewis or Billy Graham, and you're doing pretty good. So I've been the youth pastor here for four years. They hired me at 27. I'm 31 now, but I wouldn't, yeah, you, shh, shh, quiet. Some people just, their minds were blown. Yeah, 31 years old now, but I wouldn't take the last four years back for anything. We actually, I don't know how many of you guys went there to Wave Conference the past couple days. They also have Royal Youth Conference during the same time. The youth kind of pull away and do their things during the day. And they had a, a pastor named Harrison Conley there from the West Coast. His testimony is incredible. He's loved Jesus his whole life, became the youth pastor at 18, served as a youth pastor for nine years, and now at 31, he's the lead pastor at that church. I hear a testimony like that, and I'm just like, wow, that's incredible. Like the faithfulness of God when he just followed his faith through his youth, what God can do through that. And I always try to dispel that myth at RC that to have a, a testimony, you got to spend a decade in sin or, or hit the bottoms of depravity for God to pull you out to have some kind of testimony. But I hear a testimony like that, and that makes me want to give God praise. There's power in every testimony. But I look at my life and Mine was one where I spent a decade up to 21 where I gave my life to Christ just in wild living and sin. And I grew up in the church, but I ignored those commands I learned. And see, you can ignore the commands, but you can't ignore the consequences. And there were consequences and repercussions to the way I lived my life throughout my teenage years up to the age of 21. And one of those repercussions was, was spiritual and mental, where this calling that God had on my life to ministry, it was almost like, no, nah, that's not for me. Like Moses said, the burning bush. I think you, you might have the wrong guy. <laughs> and what I'm preaching tonight, what the word that God's put on my heart, I wouldn't be here at this pulpit. I would have never stepped into ministry if God didn't reveal this to me after I gave my life to him at 21. Just about what the Holy Spirit teaches us and tells us and reminds us. So maybe you're saying, though, I'm not called to be a preacher, right? I'm not that's not my career, but I would say you might, your career might not be as preacher or pastor. Your career might be something else, but we're all called to proclaim the gospel. That might not be your career as preacher, but as Pastor Fred's been saying again and again, we have a Maranatha calling on our life to say that Jesus came and Jesus is coming again. But how many of you guys know that takes boldness? You can't walk around timid and, and do that. 
proclaim the gospel. It takes speaking. It takes being bold. And I so appreciate what Alvin said. I'm basically preaching sermon number two of the night. Come on, that was so good. But we just, the youth got back from camp in July, and the theme for camp was the bold. And Andrew DiMazio was preaching. He's Frank DiMazio's son from Portland Bible Church on the West Coast. And he said something one night. He said, you have to identify your current state before you can move into the future. And that's so true, that you got to be honest with yourself, with where you're at, before you can progress. There has to be an honest look at your life. And he was preaching about Jacob and how he wrestled with the angel, and God changed his name to Israel. But tonight I want to just look at that statement, but with a a different person with a different name change. And I just want to look at Simon, who became Peter. And every time you see a name change in the Bible, it's the mark of a new identity, right? It's a new mission. A new calling has been placed on that life. And we all have patterns and habits we've lived our lives with. Maybe it's of, of brokenness in our past, but we all have a future. We all have a purpose and we all have a destiny with this Maranatha calling. And it's going to take boldness. And as Fred has hit on in the past weeks, this Maranatha calling, it's not based on our personality. It's not based on whether we're introverted or extroverted. It's based on this spirit in us that enables us and equips us to walk in boldness. See, you might not have had a name change, but in 2 Corinthians 5.17, Paul says to the church in Corinth, right, you're a new creation. The old is gone. There's a new calling, new mission, new destiny on your life. And that mission always involves being stretched, stepping into uncomfortable situations, walking with courage, walking with boldness. One of my favorite verses in the Bible is Proverbs 28.1, where it says, the righteous are as bold as a lion. But you look at Simon, right? Simon was the fisherman with the foot-shaped mouth, right? Said so much stupid stuff, his foot was put in his mouth very often. I like, actually, I I would be scared to see Peter with a Twitter account or a Facebook account where you just rattle off the top of your head, right? He would post so much dumb stuff. He'd be one of those people that posted for two seconds, tries to delete it, but then somebody screenshots it and shares it with the world. So he becomes Peter, and Peter's this nickname that Jesus gives him, that basically becomes his name. Maybe some of you are like, what pastor goes by a nickname? A. He does. And this was to remind him of his destiny as a rock. So his denial of Jesus, that so many people know him for, where he denied Christ three times, where the rooster crowed and he went and wept bitterly. He's known for this. And this was more in line with Simon than it was with Peter. But the way he responded to this failing determined all sorts of things, not just in his life, but for the church. You read the book of Acts. If Peter didn't step up, where would we be today? And Jesus predicted Peter's denial. And in the same conversation with Peter, there's two passages I want to hit on tonight where he speaks of the Holy Spirit. And again, this is the same conversation. I know with our daily reading plans, John 14 might be two days away from John 16, but Peter heard this in one conversation. And the first is John 14, verses 26 through 27. The second, if you're taking notes, is John 16, verses 7 through 11. I want to read John 14 from the Amplified Version. It says, The Holy Spirit will teach you all things, and he will cause you to recall, will remind you of, bring to your remembrance everything I have told you. Peace I leave with you. My own peace I now give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Do not let your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. And I love where the Amplified goes with this. Stop allowing yourselves to be agitated and disturbed, and do not permit yourselves to be fearful and intimidated and cowardly and unsettled. And then in John 16, verses 7 through 11, Jesus says, in fact, it is best for you that I go away. 
speaking of his death, crucifixion, resurrection. Because if I don't, the advocate, the Holy Spirit won't come. If I do go away, then I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world of its sin and of God's righteousness and of the coming judgment. The world's sin is that it refuses to believe in me. Righteousness is available because I go to the Father, and you will see me no more. Judgment will come because the ruler of this world has already been judged. Come on, those are two key passages that I want to dig into tonight. But before I do that, how many of y'all have seen Inside Out? The Disney Pixar movie. That's it? Well, I promise I'm not going to ruin it tonight. I'm not going to give away the plot. But that movie is all about memories and how they make you who you are. The main character's name is Riley, and we're inside her brain for most of the movie. And there's this idea of core memories in this movie, Inside Out. There are these, these very few memories that they protect that make her who she is. Her personality is based on these memories. What, how she acts is based on these memories. And psychologists confirm that this is, this is true. They call it use it or lose it. If you don't remember things, if you don't uh, recall them, what you don't bring to memory, you'll forget. And see, one of the Holy Spirit's most important jobs in our lives and in our hearts spiritually is to remind us, to bring things back to remembrance so that we can recall them about who we are, what Jesus has done for us. See, sometimes I think we think our problem is that we need to learn more. We need to have fresh revelation. Or maybe sometimes I think our problem is we think our problem is that we need another mountaintop experience with God, another altar experience that we can remember. But sometimes our problem is that our core memories that God wants to shape our identity with, who we are, they've been replaced or forgotten. The memory of God's grace gets replaced with guilt. The memory of, of how bold we should act gets replaced by past brokenness. The memory of courage is replaced by shame. We need to make sure the right core memories are fueling us. And in the movie, one of my favorite scenes involves these mind workers. And what they do is they're going through like all her memories and like she doesn't need this anymore. This is totally irrelevant. Let's trash this one. Like, these mind workers have gone through my brain and removed all four years of Spanish I took in high school and college, <laughs> calculus, and they didn't ask me. They just trashed it. I wish I could still remember it. But it's funny, and it's true to life. Memory is selective. You're not supposed to remember everything. Even if you did, your life would probably be miserable if you remembered every single thing from life and it was running around your head. But it's funny what sticks around. In this movie, there's a triple-dent gum jingle that pops up again and again at random times when she's supposed to be like focusing on this or, or one emotion is doing this. And it's funny what can stick around, and that's true. Like for me, 90s hip-hop lyrics are always rolling through my brain. I might have a conversation with you if it's been more than 10 minutes long. I'll probably finish three of your sentences with some old lyric from the 90s. Same thing is true with movies. True with movies. And it's not just me, watch this. My name is Indigo Montoya, you prepare. Exactly. <laughs> How about, my name is Maximus Decimus Meridian, commander of the armies of the north, general of the Felix legions, loyal servant of the one true emperor, Marcus Aurelius, father to a, a murdered son, husband to a murdered wife, and I will have my vengeance in this life or the next. Why is that in my brain and not the psalm I thought I had locked down cold like a month ago? I can't remember that, but I can remember some paragraph of, of words from a movie that was released in 2000 when I was in high school. See, memories are a funny thing. Seems fickle, selective. Sometimes my memory seems defective. <laughs> I lose more things than I'd like. And some stuff that's entirely irrelevant, whatever your triple dent gum commercial is, sticks around. 
But the core memories, the one that shape us, the ones that determine how we act, those should be placed by the reminding of the Holy Spirit of who Jesus is, what he's done for us, the grace that's available. I love that Mr. Ballard, after he saw the movie with his, his sons and daughters, said, hey, all that stuff about emotions is true, but the Holy Spirit should be at the controls. Man, that's a sermon in itself. But the same thing is true with your memories, with what you call to mind. The Holy Spirit should be doing that work. And it's some of his most important work. Because again, this quote by Andrew Damasio is, you you have to identify with your current state before you can move into your future. And the enemy loves to take your broken past, the memories of that, and try to break your future. But this is, again, where the Holy Spirit does important work. And really this quote from Andrew Damasio gained steam at camp because he had an altar call, maybe the second or third night there, which was all about reaching your school, right? If you're a student, you want to reach your school with the gospel, you want to take Jesus to your classmates, then, hey, we want to pray for you. And we had countless students go up. But one I remember is the one I saw go up first. And if I'm honest, the past year in his life has been so encouraging to me as a pastor. The growth I've seen, the fruit I've seen, him walking in new truth and revelation in ways he hasn't in the past. So, I was like foaming at the mouth to like prophesy his face off up at this altar. So I go up there, I'm like, bro, what's good? He's like, yeah, I want to reach my school. And then he said, but. And he just started listing off just shame from things in his past, not even guilt from fresh sins, but shame that has lingered from, from things that he's done or has been done to him in his past and things that God has pulled him out of. And how many of you guys know with those memories comes a voice that says, I'm not good enough? that says, I'm not up for this, I'm unworthy of that calling, a voice that says, I'll never be better than where I'm at right now. And I'm well aware that if that's not dealt with as a teenager, when you're in high school, that can linger as an adult. And I know there are probably adults in here tonight that are stuck in mediocrity because when God calls you forward, you call up the wrong memories. You're listening to the wrong voice. We've got to learn to discern the voice of the Holy Spirit. You know, Pastor Fred said weeks ago, one of the biggest temptations you and I will face in this life is mediocrity. And many who at the outset of salvation envision a life of radical obedience and faith-filled evangelism, they imagine walking in the boldness of a lion. Over time, they found themselves instead locked into a life of mediocrity and little impact because of a gnawing sense of unworthiness and our own failures. See, there's a Simon in all of us, a pattern of past brokenness, but there's also a Peter in all of us. Again, that new creation and this promise of a a future and a destiny and a calling. But what will be at the core of your memory? Because again, the enemy will love to call up your broken past and give you lies about your future and whether you're good enough for it and whether you can actually step into it. But the Holy Spirit's job description, one of many, is to keep us on course for our future by reminding us with daily divine reminders of of three things that I want to hit on from, from John 16. But before I even do that, speaking of jobs, I want to hit on this word paraclete. It's in both John 14 and John 16. Now, some Bibles have this translated as counselor or helper. If you look at the Greek, the word paraclete means counselor, legal assistant, a counsel for defense, an advocate, essentially a lawyer. Now, how many of you guys at some point in your life have had an addiction to law and order? Yeah, my wife, when we got Netflix, went through, I think, all seasons in the course of like a month. But for me, my addiction was in college. Sophomore year, living off campus, would go to the cafeteria, fill up a to-go box, go back to my room and watch Law & Order SVU. That was my addiction. Here I was an art and an English major, 
mind you, and I wanted to be like Stabler when I grew up, right? <laughs> Clearly, I had no idea where I was going in life, and it's no big surprise that God pulled me out of that and said, hey, get a grip, I'm calling you to ministry. So, if you watch Law and Order, though, you'll see character after character, especially when, when they come into the room, I'm not going to say a word till my lawyer gets here. I'm not going to say a word till my counselor gets here. And come on, when the enemy comes to us with memories of our past, our failings, our brokenness, come on, we need to be like, hey, <laughs> I'm going to let the Holy Spirit deal with that. I'm going to let the Holy Spirit remind me of what my purpose is, what my destiny is, what my calling is. And I'm not just talking either. This is another sermon for another day. I'm not just talking about when we, we're dealing with past failings and things we've done wrong. We also want the Holy Spirit to counsel us in those things that we want to do right. Like, there wasn't a verse in the Bible about whether I should take my first job at Williamsburg Graphics. There wasn't a verse in the Bible about whether I should marry Stephanie Killingsworth. There's no verse in the Bible for us about whether we should have gone to the South Side. But as you read the Word, pour over the Word, seek the kingdom first, and let the Holy Spirit guide you and lead you, He counsels you in those decisions. Again, another sermon for another day. And before I was a reverend, trying to decide whether to go to the South Side, what's the next step? I was a rebel. I was in a broken world. I was broken myself. And I needed the Holy Spirit to convict me of the three things we see in John 16, sin, righteousness, and judgment. So the first thing the Holy Spirit convicts the world of, according to John 16, is sin. And we got to, with the world, the Holy Spirit's a prosecutor. It's convicting us, convincing us of sin, righteousness, and judgment. And it shouldn't surprise us that the Holy Spirit convicts us of sin because his first name is holy, and we're not, right? But to quote Billy Graham again tonight, actually before that, have any of you ever had a job where you have a coworker, kind of hard to work with because they've kind of got job confusion, they're trying to call shots that only the boss should make, they're trying to boss people around, and you're like, that's not your role. Play your role. You're my coworker. We are employees of this business. You're not the boss. They have job confusion. Now, the problem isn't their passion. The problem is they're trying to call shots that aren't theirs to make. Now, again, to quote Billy Graham, this is another quote. It says, it's the Holy Spirit's job to convict. It's God's job to judge. It's our job to love. Some believers have job confusion. Their passion isn't a bad thing. It's just misplaced. They're trying to convict. They're trying to judge. Our job is to love. There's no amount of debating, and debate's not a bad thing, but there's no amount of debating that can do the work of the Holy Spirit and draw people into the grace of God. But pause, because <laughs> we can let the pendulum swing way too far in the other direction, where we, in the name of love, will compromise truth, twist it, compromise morality so that people can feel the love of God. But before you can accept the good news, you've got to accept the bad news, that we're broken, you, you got to. I'm so grateful that when I was 21 years old and I went to this concert and there was a preacher preaching afterward named Doug Lassett, he kept it real. He didn't twist or distort the truth. Otherwise, I don't know if I ever would have given my life to God that night. I was broken. I needed to hear it. And I needed to, to let go of some things. I needed to respond in repentance. Things maybe that I identified with that I wrongfully treasured. There was brokenness in my life and we're all broken different ways, but we're all broken. We all need to be convicted of sin, and, and if in love we're, we're twisting the truth, then really we're operating against the Holy Spirit who needs to convince people that, hey, you're broken. You need Jesus. You need grace. But that's a rabbit trail. To bring it back, the Holy Spirit convicts, and I'm thankful he does. 
because otherwise I wouldn't be here today. If he wouldn't have first convicted me that I was broken, I couldn't have responded to the love of Jesus. You'll never grasp how deep the love of Jesus is until you grasp how deep sin is. It's not just being saved from not having purpose or meaning or, or feeling empty. Those are all symptoms of the fact that, A, sin is so deep, and I chose it, and I've offended God. He convicts of sin. He convicts of righteousness. How does he convict of righteousness? He points to Jesus. Jesus says, because I go to the Father. He points to himself as this righteous standard we'll never measure up to. In Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3, Jesus says the Son is the, or excuse me, the author says that Jesus is the radiance of God's glory. This is God's righteousness in the flesh, God's holiness in the flesh. Romans 3.23 says all have fallen short of the glory of God. We're never going to be able to live up to the righteousness of Jesus. And then he convicts of judgment. So you can never say that, that sin and, and righteousness and right and wrong don't matter because they do, because judgment's coming. And when you see the depth of human sin, and when human sin is confronted with the righteousness of Christ, condemnation in the face of judgment becomes self-evident. No longer is it this offended question of how could a good God let decent people go to hell? All of a sudden it's how could a good, righteous, and holy God let broken, sinful people into heaven? And the answer, thank goodness, is Jesus, grace, and the gospel. But we need to be brought back to that reality daily. We need to be brought back through daily convincing of the areas we're still broken, of where we're, we're still filled with sin, even as believers. See, there are some people who maybe have an experience at an altar or, or pray a prayer, and then they kind of hit cruise control. And they're like, I'm good. Grace is going to cover everything from here on out. But there's a place for sorrow over sin, even as believers. See, in Inside Out, joy the one who was carrying those orbs at the very beginning, she's kind of at the controls, right? So she's kind of in control of what emotion's going to do what. You know, anger, you're over here, you're doing this today. Fear, you're over here doing that. And sorrow, the whole movie, she's trying to figure out, what, what do I do with sorrow? Where is a place for sorrow? She's like, go stand in the corner, don't touch anything or screw anything up. You know, sometimes as believers, we might feel the same way. But the lesson in the movie is that there's a place for sadness, that you don't get stronger by ignoring the problem. We can't grow numb to our own sin. If we do, you'll end up in a place where you're numb to grace, and you never want to be there. We should even, as we follow Christ, be grieved by sin. We should have what I would call Psalm 51 moments, where David in Psalm 51 comes before God. This is months after his sin with Bathsheba, where he breaks about all the Ten Commandments in a couple weeks. And you just read it. He's broken. He says, my sin is always before me. Against you and you alone have I sinned. Surely I was sinful at birth. Therefore, you are right in your verdict and justified when you judge. He realizes how broken he is. He's broken over it. But then you keep reading. It talks about cleanse me, right? Create in me a pure heart. Restore to me the joy of my salvation. For him to have the joy of salvation restored to him, he had to feel conviction over his sin. See, sadness leads to fresh repentance and renewal. Godly sadness leads to the joy of salvation. And like David, we'll all have these Psalm 51 moments throughout our life where we're awakened to the fact that, hey, I've still got some issues, right? We're all going to have moments where, like Peter, the rooster crows. We're all going to have those moments. But think about it. When else does the rooster crow? First thing in the morning, right? At least according to the cartoons. <laughs> 
But where else does the rooster crow? You're going to have moments in your life where the rooster crows. But the Bible says every morning, grace and mercy is new. We just need reminders of that. And come on again, that's the role of the Holy Spirit to remind us. Because we're all going to have those moments. And in those moments, we need to know the voice of the Holy Spirit. The voice and the voice of the enemy. Because what's at stake? Really everything. The difference between walking in the boldness of a lion and walking in timidity and walking in mediocrity. Because in moments where we've stumbled, in moments where you're reminded again of the brokenness of your past, the enemy would love to point to John 16 and say, look, you sinned, you're not righteous, and judgment's coming, and you begin to feel condemnation. See, that's where it's dangerous. Sometimes the enemy doesn't hit us with the, the flat-out lie where it's like, I can, that's a lie. You're dumb, right? No, sometimes it's, it's half lies, half truths, selective memory. <laughs> he paints our situation of being unrighteous as one that's permanent. See, condemnation turns your need for change into a permanent condition by storing shame and forgetting grace. He removes the potential for change. He removes the core memory of the cross, removes the memory of grace, removes the memory of what Jesus did, and that gets displaced. And that's where the Holy Spirit steps in for the believer because he reminds us of the full truth. See, conviction of sin and the idea that I'm not righteous and judgment is coming, that's meant to be a permanent condition. But once the Holy Spirit has convinced you that you're a sinner in need of a Savior and you respond with repentance and faith, his job is to convince and remind you that you are righteous in God's eyes and your enemy has been judged and condemned for you. See, righteousness and judgment should stay core memories, but the Holy Spirit reminds us of them for different reasons. Again, you read about the paraclete, this gift of the Holy Spirit to the believer. That's from the defensive side, right? It's an advocate. He speaks in our defense. So he reminds us of these things. When the enemy would come to us and say, hey, you've screwed up beyond belief. You're condemned. The Holy Spirit comes in and reminds us of righteousness. See, sometimes we think the conviction of the Holy Spirit is all about making us feel guilty. We did word association when we get Revolution Church, and we're like, what does conviction make you think of? Jail, right? Convicts or prisoners, right? But this word convict, it also means to convince. And again, once the Holy Spirit has convinced you that you're a sinner in need of grace and you respond in repentance, his role is to remind you, convince you, convict you that, hey, Jesus is righteousness in your place. That, hey, judgment's coming but you're not the one who needs to fear it. See, for Peter in his moment of truth, he remembered again that Jesus predicted it. But in that same prediction, Jesus followed it with, I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. Come on, for us in moments where our faith feels on the ropes, where maybe we feel like our faith is weak, where's Jesus? It's at the right hand of the Father, interceding for us. Jesus says righteousness is available because I go to the Father. Why did he go to the Father? To represent us as righteous before him. I love that the amplified version digs a little deeper into the Greek. It, it says that instead of righteousness, it's gotten brackets, right standing with God. Righteousness isn't all about right behavior. It's also about right standing before God. There's peace in knowing my place before God. It's not based on anything I've done. It's based on what Jesus did at the cross and the grace that's available through that. See, sometimes I think we get this twisted picture of the gospel and grace where Jesus died for what happened in our past, but as for the present, it's on us to clean that up. And as for the future, we've got to carry this enormous weight. But no, that's why grace is so good. 
I love that Paul says in Galatians 3.3, this is the message version. He says, only crazy people would think that they could complete by their own efforts what was begun by God. If you weren't smart enough or strong enough to begin it, how do you suppose you could perfect it? See, again, it's not a promise of perfection. The gospel is not a promise that you won't have problems, but it's about right standing with God. Again, you look, Jesus predicted Peter's denial. I can predict, unfortunately, that between this sermon and the day I die, I will screw up. I'm going to sin. I'm going to fail. Being reminded of righteousness affects how we respond in those moments. See, human memory, again, it's meant to discard some things. The enemy would have us store up shame and discard grace. But the Holy Spirit says, hey, discard that shame and store up righteousness. Don't associate with your mistakes. Associate with your status in Jesus, which is one of righteousness. And hear me out. This is not so that we can repeat the mistake, but so that you can move forward into your new purpose with boldness. Because again, the righteous are as bold as a lion. What does the Holy Spirit remind you of? Righteousness. And then thirdly, he reminds us of judgment. I love how Peter, in his later letter to the church, says that that the enemy prowls around like a roaring lion, looking for someone to devour. What does Peter say we should do in light of that? Stand firm, be strong in the faith. He's not saying we've got this enemy, we should live in fear. He's saying the opposite. Why? Because the Holy Spirit again reminds us that, hey, if you're living under the blood of Jesus Christ, he stands in your place as righteous before God. You don't have to sweat judgment. Who's sweating judgment? Our enemy. Come on, Jesus said himself, because the ruler of this world is judged, condemned, and the sentence is now passed on him. That sentence is going to be executed fully when Jesus comes back, but the Holy Spirit gives us this daily reminder that this foe we have is a defeated enemy. This enemy we have that loves to puff up his chest, make himself seem bigger than he really is, right? He loves to make it seem like his temptation is too much for us to say no to. He loves to make it seem like when we say yes to temptation that our sin is too big for God's grace. He loves to tell us these lies, but God's grace is better and God is bigger. We create battles of our own sometimes, thinking it's, it's on us. And then when we lose a battle, we're robbed of boldness. We think it's like shoots and ladders where we make a mistake. Some of y'all, they don't know. Let me talk over here now. Shoots and ladders where you make a mistake and you slide all the way back to the bottom, right? But we don't work for a future victory. We work from the victory of the cross. Stop storing up those battles you've lost and begin to store up reminders that the war has been won at the cross. And again, this idea, the righteous are as bold as a lion. I want to drive that home because where does our righteousness come from? Jesus. You know, the Bible says Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. That means we can be bold yesterday, today, tomorrow. It's not based on what you did yesterday. It's not based on your past, what's been done to you, what you've done. You can be as bold as a lion in what God's called you to because what Jesus has done for you. The Holy Spirit reminds us of this daily. You're righteous through Christ. The enemy's defeated. Again, you have to identify with your current state before you can move into your future. Your current state in Christ is righteous, redeemed, restored. Your future is one that's going to take boldness. It's going to take courage. And again, what's at stake? (laughs) A lot. You could say everything. Because all around you every day, hundreds, maybe thousands of people in your world that are one interaction— one conversation away from eternal life, being added to the kingdom, being added to the bride, Jesus' church, a relationship with God. One conversation, one interaction 
But will we be bold enough to step into those moments? Peter was filled with the Holy Spirit, focused on his destiny rather than his failings, spoke boldly, and at Pentecost saw 3,000 people added to the church. People who were one bold sermon away from joining the church. And again, you might not be called to preach, but we're all called to proclaim the gospel. And the same Holy Spirit that reminded him, don't permit yourself to be fearful and intimidated and cowardly and unsettled, sparked this boldness despite his past failings. And see, the thing with memories and what they call in the movie the memory dump, where memories go to never be remembered again, is just because you don't remember it doesn't mean it didn't happen. I'm three decades into my life. As a boy and a man who still thinks he's a boy, I have lots of bumps, bruises, scars, some of that I can remember, right? This one right here, ran into the corner of a table, right? This one here, jumping over a fence to get into varsity football game. This one here, wave tossed me right into a rock, right? I got a bump on the back of my head because I was in my dad's pickup truck. How many of you guys know the bed of a pickup truck lines up right about with the back of your knee? So the pickup jolts a little bit. Yeah, fall out, land, wake up, I don't know how many minutes later. Now y'all are like, I know why he's like the way he is. <laughs> but I've got other scars. Other bumps, other bruises all over my body. And I, I look at I don't know where that came from. Like, for real, I don't know what that's from. I just know <laughs> I've abused my body over the years. <laughs> but, you know, we have other scars in life, ones that aren't seen, ones that are emotional, psychological. Maybe it's because of something you did. Maybe it's because of something somebody did to you. Maybe you've come in here tonight as a Simon with constant reminders of your past brokenness. And that's all you can focus on. That's all you can remember I just want to quote Isaiah 43:18 and echo it to you. Isaiah says, forget the former things. Do not dwell on the past. See, I am doing a new thing. Now it springs up. Do you not perceive it? See, God wants to do a new thing in you. You've got a Peter calling over your life with purpose. And maybe you've never responded to God's grace. Maybe you've responded, but you've been more focused recently on your past, your wounds, your failings, than you are your purpose. But again, just because, just because you've forgotten grace doesn't mean God has. Just because you don't remember it doesn't mean it didn't happen. I love, again, you look at Psalm 103 as the worship team comes up. David was disturbed. So what does he do? He says, praise the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. He's like, I need to jog my memory a little bit. Who's this God and what has he done for me? Who forgives all your sins, heals all your diseases, redeems your life from the pit, crowns you with love and compassion, who satisfies your desires with good things so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. The Lord works righteousness and justice for all the oppressed. He made known his ways to Moses, his deeds to the people of Israel. The Lord is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger, abounding in love. He will not always accuse, nor will he harbor his anger forever. He does not treat us as our sins deserve or repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love for those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far he has removed our transgressions from us. See, God doesn't have memory problems. <laughs> He's never going to forget you. He's never going to leave you. He's never going to forsake you. But God also has selective memory. It says here that your sins are as far as the east is from the west, that he's removed them. God forgets those things when we're washed under the blood of Christ. Because again, God, Jesus stands as our righteousness. And God always remembers his son. God always remembers his covenant. God always remembers his people. And God always remembers his promises. 
So tonight, if we could all stand. I read this tweet the other day by an author named Bob Goff. And it was two words in its entirety, just two words. It said, memorize grace. So simple, yet so profound, and I haven't, I haven't forgot it. See, one of the biggest evidences in your life that you grasp grace, you've memorized grace, you understand the gospel, is where do you turn after you've stumbled? What do you store up? Is it shame? Is it guilt? Or do you remember the cross? You remember Jesus. You remember what he did for you. So maybe tonight, come on, as you just reflect and the Holy Spirit's moving, maybe you look at your life and you're saying, man, I've been storing up shame. Day by day, I've been storing up guilt. And because of that, I'm storing up doubt. I'm storing up these lies that I'm not good enough, that I can't walk into that calling, that when God calls me to do this or that, I'm not, I'm not strong enough. I've been storing up fear. I've been storing up insecurity. They're dominating your day-to-day thinking, your mind and your memory. And maybe tonight you would say, man, I just want to lay hold of grace again. I want to start storing up God's grace. I want to start storing up the gospel. I want to start storing up memories of, of what Jesus did for me. I want to start storing up that list we just read in Psalm 103. Now, I don't know if you've seen the movie Inside Out, but the core memories kind of look like marbles. So I've got a, a little bowl of marbles up here. Simple. But here's what I want to do. If that's you tonight, and you would say, I want to start storing up grace and stop storing up shame and fear and self-doubt and, and insecurities and these lies that the enemy has told me again and again, then we're going to go into worship. And I just want to encourage you. Take that first step of boldness. Grab one of these. You can come up here and worship with it. You can go back to your seat. You might throw it away tomorrow. But there's something in that moment saying, God, I want to pick up grace. I want to remember what you did at the cross. And I want to begin to discard that guilt and that shame and that brokenness that you died for. So come on, we're going to go into worship, but I want to encourage you. If that's you, grab one of these. The altar's open. You can worship up here. You can go back to your seat, whatever it is. And then we'll pray. We're going to come back and pray. All right, let's worship. Holy Spirit, pray.